I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, true and real stories from the fringes of classical music. Scott, I'm already um, learning a lot about myself producing this podcast with you, especially when we have different guests on that say different things. Mm, Say Uh, more. Well, well, I was going to ask you, um, is there a guest that has said something in particular uh, so far that's kind of stuck with you, uh, you know, for for the weeks that follow? Uh, The one that leaps out is your interview for this week, because the Phantom from Ill Harmonic and his wife, the Phoenix, I think it's a great metaphor for what we're trying to do here with the podcast. Um, if I were to go back a little bit, um, you know, listening to uh, the interview with Kath- Kathleen Bradbury, the producer yeah. from Performance Today, yeah, um, j- just a perspective that I, I just really don't have, and I, and there was a lot of opening, eye opening things that she said from a queer perspective that I I've just been you know I've been out of the theater world for a little bit so I've been out of touch from that and so you've been out of touch with your uh your gay friends your queer friends from being out of the theater yeah (laughs) that's that's a common trope of of the arts in general but classical maybe we've talked about it here before in classical music there aren't usually that many queer people in an in an orchestra I remember in my um in my former um orchestra um there were, I think, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm going through the sections quickly in my head. I think there were five of us total. Mm-hmm. When in a whole orchestra, you would think there would be more. Um, but by in, law of averages, yeah. yeah. But but uh, in the theater world, I guess y'all are a little gayer than uh, we are, huh? There, uh, I, yeah, I'll be the one to tell you there are there are some gay. There's a few involved in theater and film and and, such, so. and good for them. And yeah. shout out to all of them. Um, you know, when I was thinking about, uh, you know, some some of the poignant moments I've had with some of the guests. I'm, I'm thinking back right now to Brandon Kofer's interview where he talked a little bit about how social media um, is just the highlight reel. He was, he was talking about that um, in the context of perfection and, you know, letting people see that, you know, you aren't perfect and you make musical mistakes and all that sort of thing. And I've been thinking about that more on a personal level because, you know, the things that we share on social media are usually the um, the happy things or the exciting things. There have been many studies that say um, we, we post the things we want people to be jealous of us for, mm-hmm. um, you know, which, which is something. Look at me. Um, but with that in mind and with Brandon Kofer's words in mind, I've been experimenting with um, being a little more honest on social media Um kind of putting it out there that it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to, you know, kind of be in your feelings sometimes, you know, um, whether, whether gray clouds make you sad or you're just going through a stressful time at work or whatever, you know, we don't always have, um, those conversations and that honest, uh, that, you know, uh, honesty to, um, emote is something else that, uh, the phantom talks about, um, in, in, in today's interview. There's an episode of Portlandia where uh, Fred takes this woman on a surprise trip to Italy, and mm-hmm. there's loads and loads of them having all sorts of fun, but really it was a terrible trip. And uh, one of them says, huh, I guess on social media, everybody's just cropping out the sadness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like we have these mini therapy sessions. Um, just quickly, when you say cropping out the sadness, how much of that do you do in your uh, personal life, whether it's social media, your real life interactions? Do you find yourself cropping out the sadness? 
Um, I don't post often enough for anybody to really get a feel, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe once a day. And it's been largely to promote stuff here at work, like hop notes and triloquy and, you know, whatever I'm working on. Although recently I did put a picture up of Radar when I first got him because we had our gotcha day uh, earlier on. And I put a picture of him up and a little piece of poetry about dogs that's in our neighborhood in the concrete. And yeah, I started to cry. Yeah. So um, it happens. But I've also gotten into a mode of thinking where people don't want to hear my crap. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think that Facebook is a terrible place to, to be all, oh, woe is me, or vague booking, you know, vague yeah. booking. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing I terrible. try to, yeah. And and, I but, hate but nothing it. is specific. <laughs> right. So then there's all these comments with just question marks. What's going on? What do you, and they never answer. Yeah. So it's a double-edged sword, I think. There's this, um, there's this, op- and we are definitely going to get, you know, we have a lot to talk about as far as hip hop and, and it, how, how the Illharmonic Orchestra mentions that with classical music. But uh, since we're here on this conversation, there is um, an oboist who I used to play with in uh, Los Angeles. And I remember she posted on her um, social media at one point, uh, she went to the store uh, to get something and she went up to the cashier. And I guess that, uh, she was looking a little down or whatever. And the cashier asked her, is everything okay? And she just burst into tears right just there. Just because somebody asked. Just because somebody asked. Yeah. And, and sometimes you don't know, you know, you mentioned vague booking. Sometimes you don't know exactly what's wrong. Sometimes you just know that you're feeling a little blue and the smallest thing can uh, just set you off. So, um, yeah. So I, I've been using my social media to be a little more honest. Um, there have been some some blue days, um, but it, it, but it, but it's all going to be great. And uh, and, you know, I think thank goodness for for outlets for people to have to reach out to friends that um, that may not be in their direct periphery that, you know, they can still reach out to. Or maybe you just need to cast a wide net. And and I think it's OK sometimes to ask you know, your Facebook, your timeline, whatever, to just think about you or whatever, because you're, you're having a rough time. I'll try it. I'll, I'll try it with you, but I, it's going to, (laughs) it's going to be tough because I've got it set in my mind that people don't want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's not what it's for, or I'm supposed to be putting up pictures of radar or glasses of beer or whatever, but I I enjoy seeing how clear your beer is. I'm telling you. Yeah. Those those all about clear beers. Yeah. Um, So, of course, you know, music can help with, uh, you know, your mood and and, and company and all that. And um, and lately, hip hop has really been very therapeutic to me as far as really listening to what these artists have to say, finding similarities and and commonalities. Of course, you know, just being black, I'm going to have a certain proximity to hip hop music um, can considering black culture and all that sort of thing. But, you know, really going back and listening to some of these older artists, um, has, has been a part of, of my everyday and it's been really therapeutic. Uh, you've been me. hitting, you've been hitting Nina Simone a lot. You said, yeah, I was listening to her, uh, this morning. Um, one of my, and you know, she, she did a really great job about recreating a lot of these, uh, old, uh, Rogers and Hammerstein tunes. She would cover the Beatles, uh, really beautifully. Um, and there's this one song she sings called Feelings. And I'm forgetting who sings that right now. Should I should I sing it and maybe somebody will... Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. feelings. Who sings Don't that? Don't forget my feelings. 
feelings of love. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll find it. Yeah, but uh, so 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 while you're doing that, I'll just say her rendition of that is so beautiful. And and when I'm in my feelings, it's good for me to listen to that. And when I think about uh, Nina Simone and everything she stood for. Um, I think about the phrase black classical music because that's how she framed uh, what she did. And when you talk about what Nina Simone did, blues, jazz, on into the evolution of hip hop, you have to consider hip hop one of those one of those genres of classic black music, classical black music. You know, before we get too far, did you find the name of that? uh, I did. Uh, the name of the artist, uh, I never would have gotten it, Morris Albert. Morris Albert. So shout out to him for writing such a beautiful song. You know, of there's, course, yeah, shout out to Nina Simone for recreating it really beautifully. There are studies out there that show there's something that happens in the brain that when you are feeling down, listening to music that's sort of melancholy makes you feel better. Yeah. Uh, that or it can be a catalyst for you to let out that emotion you know to yeah. uh as a release you know and 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 to get you know i'm i'm working hard if you can't tell to keep the music tracked toward hip-hop um a lot of it is not melancholic or you know melancholic sounding but it just speaks to an experience that i feel like i have to a degree or it speaks to um a community that i feel like i'm a part of and it almost feels like I'm engaging with family uh, in a way. And that's, you know, that's something I really loved about my conversation with the Phantom and the Phoenix was that um, it felt like I was talking with family for, for, for a little bit, you know, and, and we've of course, you know, developed a a relationship over the years um, to where it does, the ill harmonic is a family, you know, and we don't all always see each other all the time, but when these different um, performances happen, it's, it's like a mini family reunion every time. So yeah, yeah, it was really, it was really great to uh, speak with them. Um, You were talking about uh, music, to fit the mood, music for whatever m- mood you happen to be in. Yeah. And we were talking yesterday about how, for me, music can be like a bookmark or a, or a thumbtack. You know, you put a, a point of remembrance in just a feeling, in a mood. Yeah. And that Love by Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar has become part of a cozy, comforting, a reassuring sort of a feeling. Um. And then when the Phantoms started talking about all of these old MCs that were popular when I was listening to hip hop first in the late 80s, early 90s, yeah. it just warmed me up. I felt like uh, immediately like a hominess about it. Because, There's a nostalgia attached to cause, it. Yeah, because he was talking about KRS-One and Chuck D from Public Enemy. And mm-hmm. these these were artists that I was listening to and brought up to you later on where where has this style gone? The the people that are pointing out the inadequacies rather than the ones that are, uh, it's always about money or sex or degrading uh, uh, in nature. Right, right. Um, and the Phoenix in this, uh, in our conversation, she touches on that. She talks about how money has really shifted a lot of hip hop. And it's not so much about your message and what you want to put out there as much as it's about getting money period Mm. you know and and a lot of the music is still great i would say most of the music is still great i i listen to the new hip-hop artists just as much as i go back and listen to the older ones but there is again a a bit of nostalgia connected to some of that classic hip-hop that 
you just don't really uh, get anywhere else. And that's where a lot of their sound and a lot of their music lives in that in that uh, bit of nostalgia, which they'll talk about. But um, I guess I should we, we should talk a little bit about who they are. Uh, who you who you're gonna hear me speak to today? So back in uh, twenty, let's say twenty fifteen, I think um, I was on Twitter and somehow I got connected uh, to this guy called uh, the Phantom, who was trying to raise money for a hip hop show in Carnegie Hall. So um, you know, I contributed. I thought it was a great idea, and then he also put out a call for musicians. He was looking to really grow his orchestra. So what he asked people to do was take. Um, uh, a more rap styled song and a more R&B styled song and put your spin on it with your instrument just so he could see uh, what you were capable of. Mm-hmm. So um, what I did, I took my bassoon and I found um, we and we should actually look at this sometime. I found a, a guitar, um, an acoustic guitar sort of backing cover of this song by Chris Brown and Nicki Minaj called um, Right By Your Side. And I just played the melodies along with that. Um, so that was sort of the song on the more rap side of things. And then I also recorded myself doing a rendition of um, John Legend's All of Me. Mm, and I mm-hmm. sent those to him. And um, and he thought they were really dope. So um, I flew up to uh, New York City and uh, took part in their um in, in their performance at Carnegie Hall, which was, you know, the third time I'd been in Carnegie. It was really exciting to be there in that capacity as someone, you know, holding a bassoon, playing hip hop. And um, and as they say, the rest is history. I've, I've gone on to perform with the Ilharmonic Orchestra on different uh, college campuses. Um, I played uh, with the Ilharmonic um for the uh, at the Kennedy Center for the uh, New Year's Eve celebration, I think we were ringing in 2017 uh, that year. Um, that was that was really energetic. That was really fun. Um, and they continue to travel around the country, um, bringing some musicians with them, picking up others along the way. And um, they'll be in the Twin Cities um, soon. Um, so I thought it would be great if we heard from them uh, and had a bit of conversation about the way they mesh classical music with hip hop um, and uh, and and all of the stories uh, therein. So I think this will be a, a really fun one to listen to. One little tip that I want to give you as you listen. This was recorded through the web and three were, different locations. Yes, three different locations. So um, uh, t- taking advantage of technology to bring you this interview with the Phantom and the Phoenix from Ilharmonic. Yeah, there are there are some some bumps and and some yeah, a bumps few and grinds. some bumps and grinds, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you're gonna like this. So to sort of uh, as we began talking, where um, where I'll have you, uh, you listening pop into this conversation, um, in prepping to speak with the leaders of the Ill Harmonic Orchestra, I listened to a lot of their music as well as some of the. Uh, rappers of days past one of these big artists who will come up during the interview is uh nas and uh his you know one of the biggest um how, how can i say scott one of one of the uh the big albums in hip-hop you know one of the one of the most popular and one of the most legendary ones is one album by nas called illmatic so that's where uh this conversation starts and jeff aka the phantom begins by talking about the relationship between what he does and this legendary album so here we go illmatic is in my my top five hip-hop albums of, of all time and the the musicality of it was was way ahead of its time, um, you know, and I, I don't think I don't think something like that has has been 
been captured on 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 a hip hop album since. You know, you have you know some of the greatest producers of all time. You have Premier, you have Pete Rock, you even have have Q Tip, um, and they made such a cohesive project. Um, you know, and it, it feels like like you know sort of it was predestined because Nas was Nas was coming up. You know, as as the next great MC, he was he was the young Rakim, um, and all these guys just jumped in the studio with him. And you, you know, and a, a project like that has can have the ability to come off, you know, mishmash or hodgepodge. But they right. threw it together, and it, it 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 was very cohesive, and it has a very musicality, um, you know, a music element to it um, that that has kind of been unmatched, and it was way ahead of its time in the '90s for them. You know, to be doing stuff like that, but it was, yeah, it's that's why it's one of my my favorite hip hop albums of all time. And and you mentioned uh, Rakim Phoenix. I, I thought of you a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, Eric B and Rakim came to the Twin Cities and did a show. I couldn't make it. I had to work, but uh, my boyfriend went, and he described it as just a really mature show. And you know, everybody's rapping, uh, you know, every every lyric, but you know, no drama, no fighting, no no clout, whatever. Just a, a mature show. Where where has that gone? Where has that gone in hip hop? And I ask you because I remember the last time we spoke, you put Rakim in your top five. Absolutely. Um, you know that. That is something that I think we attribute a lot to the commer- the commercialization of, of rap music and hip hop. And over time, a lot of those elements have been lost because it has become more about the next big thing and making money. And when they realized that they could really capitalize on hip hop music and that they had something that could be turned into dollars, it, it became very, um, very materialistic, and it became about what would sell and for the sound of the moment. Commodified, right. A- absolutely. And I think that over time, um, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of the artists have moved towards chasing the dollar. And so, you know, the sound has become whatever it takes to have that big radio hit is what they're doing, no matter the, no matter the content no matter what's being said, no matter whether you're degradating yourself. Um, that's just what it became when you have something becoming a commodity. And it's unfortunate because, you know, people like Rakim, um, Big Daddy Kane, and um, even Nas, it, was, it had a poetry to it. Right. You know, it, there was a skill to emceeing. And now very few people really still emcee. And the stuff that you hear on the radio that's commercial they're not what we would quantify as as MCs. Right, right. But, you know, how does that, when we talk about the commodification of hip-hop and, and chasing the dollar, what does that conversation mean in a world where today we're celebrating Hove, celebrating Jay-Z for being hip-hop's first billionaire? You know, how, how can we celebrate on one hand and in the other hand, you know, sort of wag our finger at how it's become all about the dollar? So, so for me, that's a great question. Um, so for me, what I, when I think of Hove making a billion dollars, I think of longevity, not necessarily the, the, because he's, yes, he's, uh, a lot of his, his early money was made in making records that, you know, um, talking about clubs that you and I can't get into, right? Yeah. And if we could, he wouldn't want to be a part of those. Like I get, I get that aspect, but, but when we look at, you know, when we look at Dr. Dre and we look at Puffy and we look at, at, at Jay-Z, 
their quest is more about the longevity. And when and going back to your your previous question, um, the people you described at that concert, like that's Generation X. You know, the um, the the thirty five to to fifty five year old um, yeah. who who grew up in hip hop's golden age. Hip hop has 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 rebranded itself over and over again as a youth culture when the people who made it weren't in their 16, 17 year old. You know, those were these were grown, these were adults, 25, yeah. 35 year olds who 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 were making the stuff. And it, it it was it was urban culture, not necessarily youth culture. Hip hop has done a great disservice and, and the music industry itself has done a great disservice by forgetting about Generation X. Those people didn't die off. They didn't stop buying records. They would just stop marketing to, you know, um, when you when you go to one of those Rakim shows or Big Daddy Kane shows or old school LL Cool J shows, Generation X is there in droves buying Absolutely. tickets. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you will um, see very few young people at, at one of those old school concerts. Right. 16 year olds will give you a bunch of streams and clout, you know, um, but adults are, are, are going to. You know, make sure that you, you you do what it is that you have to do to to pay your bills. And you it's know? so and it's so interesting when you talk about paying attention to uh, Generation X because in classical music, what we deal with is um, getting you know getting the new generation's attention. And it seems like you figured out a way to to sort of do both in in a in a clever way, an interesting way. Yes, I mean that's it, it has become not a goal for us, but it, it's it's become um, something that has happened over time as we've we've branded ourselves as a hip hop orchestra. Our largest demographic has become you know that that generation X, thirty five to forty five and fifty five. What they do is they they remember the music from their childhood, and now they have children who play the cello or the piano or the violin, and they bring them to the show. So it's a so it's a way to you know grab the the older crowd and to introduce their music of their youth to their children. And the truth of the matter is, is that, uh, you know, to, to Phantom's point, those people didn't stop wanting to be, you know, they didn't stop wanting to be marketed to. That's just how it occurred, that they sort of became the forgotten generation. Those people still want to go to concerts. They still remember what it was like to sit at their first concert and see, you know, an artist that they admired up on the stage. Um, and they still, they still want that. They want that feeling of nostalgia. And as we move further and further away from a time that feels or, or felt more simplistic, I think there's a desire from that age group to want to be able to go to events like that. They want to be, they want to be able to go to those sort of, you know, go and be in those sort of settings. And that's what the Elharmonic concerts feel like to me. I feel that energy of appreciation and that energy of uh, nostalgia that makes, you know, someone who's younger like me have an even better appreciation for a lot of those hip hop styles that came uh, before. Uh, so so for someone who's never heard of uh, the Elharmonic Orchestra, never heard of a hip hop orchestra, how would you describe it to him? 
Uh, I, I think it's a it's, it's a combination of of all those things. So, uh, in addition to just you know hip hop and classical music, there's there's soul, there's jazz, there's you know um, R and B, there's some, there's some blues elements, there's some opera elements. Um, so it's it's really a combination of of all the musical influences that have influenced us as we've grown up, the music that we we grew up listening to, and the, and the music that we we enjoy making. Um, you know, we 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 put it out there for the you know, the audience to, to enjoy. Um, I, I think when you come to one of our concerts, what you get is, is a, a full concert experience. And we, we, we welcome you making noise, clapping your hands, stomping your feet, getting up and dancing and, and, and enjoying the music with us. You know, we enjoy making it and we, we enjoy when the enjoy, when the audience enjoys it. And the best way to, to sort of describe that is, you know, it's like basically the feeling of an old school house party in a concert hall. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's that call and response. It's it's having that um, audience participation. It's it's that feeling of family and friends and being in those settings that where where they used to do music back in the day and not being afraid to emote. Right. So so that's 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 huge. So, you know, Phantom and I talk about that all the time. I mean, I can't tell you the last time he and I have been to a quote unquote club. But the last time we were in a club setting, you know, you notice that people don't really dance anymore. People don't they don't connect with the music in the same in the same way. It's a lot of people standing around um, trying to look the part, trying to pretend to be something that they're not. And Mm -hmm. and. They're just there for the sake of uh, being seen. Uh, yeah, exactly. being seen. Just for being seen. But there's no real connection to no. to the music. And and when we bring a show to a Carnegie Hall or to a Kennedy Center, we want people to, not to be afraid to get out of their seats and to make noise and to and to act like they're at a party. You know, because that's essentially what we're trying to bring to you. We're trying to bring both elements together. That very that classical element with a, a, a twist with a hip-hop twist and 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 just for the record it's really dope to get to say that you know name your uh kennedy centers and your carnegie halls like you know you've been there <laughs> done that you know <laughs> uh, but but it's but it's so funny that you bring up that concept of not being afraid to emote because um i'm you know in the car earlier today um the phantom i was uh listening to um uh, one of your albums, and you go into that exact thing in one of those intros, not being afraid to tell your truth. Absolutely, um, you know, uh, you 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 have to. Um, and it, Phoenix speaks about you know connecting with the audience, and when when the audience, you know, when they get it, you know that that makes the line that you poured over for forty minutes, trying to make sure that they understand the 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 similes or the story that you're telling. You know, it makes it that much more uh, poignant. Um, you know, when you get that connection, you can look down in that audience and see someone looking at you and they get your punchline or they're listening to your story or they're looking at all the elements that you have on stage. You know, that's what makes it real for us. That's what makes it enjoyable for us. And, and giving that emotion, you know, uh, we've been to many, many operatic concerts and, you know, people sit on their hands and wait for the cue to clap. You know, yeah. that's not that's not the, that's not what we're trying to we're not we're not trying to provide that experience 
Right, right. And and one one thing that I always hear you say and, and see you talk about on social media is how it's not a one off. A lot of these people will do, you know, one one orchestral thing or do something with a violin to be a sort of novelty. But, you know, right. you guys are really dedicated to the mixing of those genres. Why are you so dedicated to that? Well, I think I think growing up um, and seeing, you know, seeing something like Soul Train and seeing people who look like me on stage playing instruments. Um, and then, you know, my mother putting me in flute and piano lessons and Andrea's mom, you know, giving her her music lessons and things like that. We, we recognize the importance of representation. Um, you know, when when, you know, we're at a place like the Kennedy Center and, and you know, 80 percent of the audience, you know, looks like us on stage and, you know, kids around the audience and they see someone looking like them playing the cello. Um, you know, that's important. That's a moment. You know, that's that, that's that's what we want to try to bring. And and, and you know, um, our, our ensemble is not not totally African-American, but there's a large representation and we recognize the importance of that. Um, and then it's just the, the, the sonic quality of, of live music that you can't really get, you know? Um, and that's why, you know, that's why when these, when these guys are doing these huge concerts, yeah, they're, they're going for an orchestra. They recognize, they recognize that the sound is, is, is a different sound and it's a, it's a, it's an, it's an awesome sound. So every time that we perform, this is this is what we do. This is this is who we are, and we're we're true to the music. Like I, I record or every time I make a piece of music, it's with an orchestra in mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, just to circle back to, um, you know, your question about the one-offs. Um, it's it's not a dig. It's just our reality, right? So we've been doing this for so long now. Um, and aside from even the, the amount of time that Phantom and I have been performing together, for him, sonically, this is how he always heard the music. So even in the 80s, when he was a kid, this was always how he heard this sound. And yeah. no one was doing that. And so even though early hip-hop music has elements of piano and and things that might sound like violin and stuff like that, they weren't necessarily recording with live instruments. Those sounds right. were coming from a keyboard sound. You know, a lot of right. it was coming from a keyboard sound. But this was always how he envisioned the music. And we love a Nas. We love a Common. I mean, all, all respect. Trust me, they're two of our favorite artists. I'm just throwing them out there as examples. Um, but when we perform... Every single time we perform, this is how we perform. Yeah. Even when we were just performing at the club level, imagine Phantom and I going into a, a dark club with a string quartet. In the, in, in the, <laughs> you know, people were looking at us like somebody coming in with a cello and a double bass. They're looking at us like we're crazy. They're like, what? What is this? So it's never been um, a gimmick or hey, let's just see if this looks good. This is how it's been envisioned, and this is this is the legacy we want to carry forward. Uh, this is such, it seems like a novelty now that everybody wants to jump on stage with an orchestra. We're like, mm, yeah, you know, we, we kind of saw that back when nobody else was really, was really giving it any attention. Um, and they don't perform that way all the time. And they definitely are not necessarily in the recording studio with... A string section, you know? Yeah, I, I want to hear uh, more about one of these first club 
performances with with you guys and a, a string quartet surely there's a story that sticks oh, out from yeah. one of those early oh, performances so in in philadelphia <laughs> we um we did a, a performance with well, we we were we were paired with some members of the philadelphia orchestra if you can imagine um first chair violinist gloria justin and um three other musicians and we we had a we had a, a club show um and i think we were doing either two i think we were doing one or two songs um, you know, we, we paid heftily out of pocket to drag, you know, four members of the Philadelphia Orchestra <laughs> yeah, sure. to this, to this, to this club to do, you know, uh, two, to do two songs. And, you know, we come in and there's people performing on, on CDs or, or, or dat tapes. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a little crazy. And then we, we come up and, you know, you have to plug in these instruments and set up the microphones and, um, you know, we, we come in and, and, and people are looking at us like we're, like we're crazy, you know, like they, like we're highfalutin or, you know, that's not hip hop or, okay, you know, yeah. so, you know, when we get on and we rock it, man, and, and people, people were still hating. So it took a while for it to, to catch on, but we, you know, we knew early on that, that this was the sound that we wanted and this was the sound that we were going to stick with, but it was, it was, it was, it was not an easy road by any stretch of the imagination. From either side, from either side, not from the classical community and not from the hip hop community. They were all kind of giving us side eye. (laughs) Yeah. They were definitely giving us side eye. Yeah, and and that's what I wanted to to get to was that you know some of the you know some of the side eyes on the hip hop side had to have been there on the classical side too. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, uh, the the musicians themselves. You know, uh, early on, they didn't they didn't want to play eight bar loops of of, of Aldi or Beethoven or, or you know whatever I was chopping up at the time to 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 make the music. You know, they they weren't extremely impressed. Uh, the first time we performed at the at the Kimmel Center in Philly. Um, you know, there was a line around the block. We wound up drawing more people than Itzhak Perlman. And, you know, oh, wow. the, the, music, the musicians weren't happy about it. You know, this isn't this isn't real music, um, you know, uh, but but we knew we had something like we piqued the interest early on. And this was before marketing or, or any of that or, or before we were marketing savvy. Like, you know, the Kimmel Center just announced there's there's going to be a hip hop group with an orchestra. And people came in droves, yeah. and and you know, so we knew early on that this that this was something. But neither side gave us any any cooperation. No one wanted to work with us. We didn't, you know. Uh, other people were getting, um, uh, you know, uh, endorsed by by local local artists, but no one no one gave us a pass. No one wanted to work with us. No one no one did anything. So everything that we did, we we literally pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps and 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 worked hard to get to where we are and and believe it or not you know even back then in early 2000 there were some people who were younger than the norm of what you expect the classical community to look like that recognized hey if we don't do something soon we're going to lose classical music if we don't start finding a way to bridge the gap. Um, you know, there were people who realized, you know, I, you know, with all due respect, classical music was considered old white man's music. And they realized somewhat early on, Hey, we need to start bridging this gap and we need to start bringing younger crowds to the classical, to a classical show. And how do we do that? We need to find ways to, to pique the interest and to fuse uh, classical music with other genres, with visual arts, with 
um, with other genres of of of, uh, of music, and those people got pushed back too. You know, they, they it was not, it was very much frowned upon, and the powers that be at the time were very skeptical about the about it working. Although they gave it a shot, they very much in the background like, yeah, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. But they wanted to at least be able to say you know, hey, we gave it the old college try. So I think that that's sort of been a struggle for a number of years, recognizing that eventually um, this music may die out if you don't find ways to bring other, you don't find ways to bring diversity into the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, just speaking to that, um, I think, yeah, the last time I um, I played with you guys was at the uh, Kennedy Center. And after mm-hmm. that performance, um, I got a couple uh, messages from um, these uh, uh, two sets of black parents uh, saying that, you know, their kid plays the bassoon and nobody, you know, and the household knows what that thing is. And, you know, but but it was but it was really cool for them to see a black person on stage playing bassoon, you know, and then yes. on top and then on top of that music that, you know, they could relate to culturally. So, uh, right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really phenomenal uh, what you guys have managed to do uh, on the path, you know, going from the the small um, club gigs all the way up into Carnegie Hall and the Kennedy Center. Was it a, a gradual climb or was there like a, a one big, you know, a, a one big discovery moment or, or what? So there was I mean, it, it was definitely gradual. You know, we went from clubs to uh, college concert halls, you know, up to up to the point where, you know, we raised our own money to perform at Carnegie. You know, we produced we produced our own show. Um, but, you know, it, it took it took a while from from and, and know, just the third uh, hip hop headline show there. Right. Absolutely. Um, the other two were were Wyclef and, and Jay Z. Uh, so we're in pretty good company there. But you know, from from '99 to when we first performed with a uh, you know a string quartet until you know 2015, it was definitely definitely gradual. Um, you know, uh, getting getting our music out there through college radio. You know, performing on college campuses and 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 knowing that you know my one of my dreams was to perform at Carnegie Hall. You know, took I actually took the leap three separate times I tried to raise money. Um, and then in 2015, we were successful. We, we produced our own event there. Um, you know, and it was, it was, it was a tough labor of love, but you know, that performance was, you know, extremely stressful, but it was extremely rewarding. You know, it was one of our, one of our, our finest shows, you know, sonically, um, spiritually, you know, um, artistically, like uh, a lot of things came together. Uh, and, and that's kind of been the model that we've used to forge forward. And to Phantom's credit, um, you know, your, your ego can take a real beating over, you know, like a decade of trying, of, of trying diligently and hard to work your craft, um, and, it's seemingly falling on deaf ears. Um, and that Carnegie show was definitely, uh, it was, it was a pinnacle of, of a long, long journey and a lot of work and, and a lot of no's. Um, and he just never gave up on that dream. And he, he, because he knew that that was something that people needed to see. That was something that we had to get out there. And and the fact that we never gave up after three tries, it was you know it's definitely to Phantom's perseverance. All a lot of this is due to his perseverance. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and it's not again, it's not like it was, you know, an empty house or half full. You know, these shows are packed and the and the energy is just so intense. Um and I just can't help but to think what if that was more representative of what the orchestral experience is because at the end of the day they are being exposed to classical music just in in a in a, in a more updated way and um and I and I bring that up because um you know with with a, a lot of these classical music organizations across the country having to um having to you know cut parts of their season and there being budget issues it seems like something like this would sort of be uh the obvious next step into where to take these organizations but it's yeah i mean it's not though it's 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 not there's you would be surprised if there's still um there's still so much pushback from concert music halls because it is a a generation of people that just do not want to, they do not want to relinquish that sort of persona. Um, and, and where they're failing is in thinking that by accepting something different, you're saying the other thing is not existent or that it's not important. And that's really, that's really not the case. There's, there's room for everyone. And I think where these these big orchestras and these symphonies are failing is because they only feel like there's room for them. And because of that, they're going they're losing out. They're losing out on patronship. They're 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 losing out on bringing new audiences, because what happens when someone comes to a concert, a concert hall and they see a hip hop and classical fusion? Maybe that's going to spark an interest for them to say, hey, such this orchestra just came up and it's a classical orchestra. Maybe I'll go check that out too. You have to bring people to the space. You have to bring them, you have to show them the opportunity and show them that the other things exist because if they don't even know they're out there, they're not necessarily even going to be looking for them. Yeah. I mean, the, the, one of the main ideas, um, in addition to, to bringing musicians of color into the space, what we, what we pride ourselves on is bringing, audience members of, of color into the space, you know? Um, and, ulti- and, and ultimately culture of color. Absolutely. Um, and that should be, that should be uh, something that these, uh, these classical organizations strive to do. Um, but what they've done is just continue to try to rely on their 50, 60, 70-year-old, um, you know, patrons who, who are coming to see Beethoven's Ninth Symphony for the 50th time, for the 50th time, instead of, you know, trying to get a younger audience or trying something to, to invite people into the space. Um, you know, when we did the Kennedy Center uh, performance, you can, you can see people who, who had never even been to that space. Yeah. Come yeah. in the door, look around, look amazed, and just be enthralled. So it was an it was an entire experience for them. The same with Carnegie Hall. You know, these people had never felt invited into that space, um, and that's 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 what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to make people feel good about being included into these things, into into these spaces, and they can, they can be, they should be. Um, but until until these organizations make that a goal. That's that's not going to happen, and they will continue to suffer financially for it. And and on the more uh, I guess on the more hip hop side of the conversation of you know being inclusive, um, 
a lot of people think of it or traditionally, you know, it's been thought of as this male run thing, but, right. um, uh, in pop in you know, in pop hip hop, you know, these days you're seeing a lot of, uh, women, uh, taking the lead, but, uh, you know, in, in the ill harmonic, you know, just as it's, you know, um, you know, uh, headed by, you know, the two of you, I would say half or more of the ensemble is, is filled with young women. You want to take that Phoenix? <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, and honestly, I don't even know that that is extremely intentional on our behalf, um, as much as it has been the, the musicians that have gravitated towards us, you know, so, so when we put these opportunities out there, um, and people, people come forward, it, it happens to be that a, a lot of the, especially the string players, um, tend to be women, uh, and they, they're very excited about the opportunity. And, you know, it's it's a good feeling to to turn around and look on stage and see uh, all of these beautiful people of color, women, men. Um, it's just it's it's a really great feeling to see that. And, uh, you know, it's it's something that we hope hope continues. Yeah. For me, I think it's I think it's amazing. I think it's I think it's great. Um, my wife is dope. Let me just say that. Um, the, 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 the musicians are, are dope, but I, I, I love it that, that a lot of the, the musicians are, are, are women and women of color. Um, I think it's a great representation because, you know, uh, women of color are, are kind of forgotten in this society. Um, so when we're, when we go into these spaces and we're not just, not just men of color, you know, we're, we're showing that, that women of color can do great and extraordinary things. And my wife takes over that stage, you know, um, and she, she gets out there and she connects because there's a lot of women of color in, in the audience and she connects with them and they connect with her. And I, I, I think it's amazing. And I'm always amazed and shocked and, and, and thrilled that, you know, um, since, since my wife is taking a much larger role in this ensemble, how, how we have flourished, you know, because of that. So I'm, I'm all for it. Um, Phoenix, I'm going to uh, read a couple of your bars here. You describe yourself as part feminist, militant, part heroine, villainous. You know, when I hear these words and I, you know, and, and, I, and I think about us in this hashtag Me Too era, there's such a, a power behind, um, you know, what you do that instantly, of course, reminds me of, you know, Queen Latifah, reminds me of Lauren Hill and, and all of these powerhouses, uh, powerhouse women um, uh, in hip hop days past. And being as polite as I can be, um, you know, women in hip hop don't necessarily um, exhibit that so much these days. I mean, what can you say to that topic? I'm curious. You know, the, specifically the two women that you mentioned, um, they were extremely unapologetic about their blackness um, and about their womanhood. Um, and they were people that, you know, other female, other, other women looked up to, other young women looked up to, like Queen Latifah is definitely more my childhood era. Um, and Lauren is, is, you know, more of my college era. And, and when I say, when, when you talk about how dynamic both are and, and continue to be, they were people that I looked up to, um, because they just exhibited so much strength and confidence. Um, and Lauren's a perfect example. Lauren was in a group 
And from the moment that you heard Lauren rap, you knew that she was the standout of that group. From the yeah. moment she opened her mouth, way back in the day when they when they released vocab, she was she was the star, and she was the person who made people want to turn around and listen to them. Um, again, you know the the commercial hip hop has become so commercial, and it's become more about sex sells. Yeah. And women feel, unfortunately, even in 2019, like the only way they can get a leg up, uh, you know. So, no pun intended. <laughs> no pun and no pun intended is, is to present themselves in a way that's, that's overly sexual um, and, and not even overly sexual, sometimes just downright vulgar and, yeah. and disgusting. And... It's just it. It really very much plays into a, a, a patriarchal society of feeling like that's the only way that you can make a way for yourself is to, you know, be overtly sexual. And it just sort of continues to play into stereotypes that, you know, that play over and over and over again. And it, and it's unfortunate that people, women feel like they have to put themselves in that position to be heard. Um, I think that, that, that there's a very fine line between being sexy and being feminine yeah. Yeah. and being vulgar. Uh, you know, when I get on stage, I wear heels on stage. I'm a, I'm a girl. You know, like, yeah. I, 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 I like sparkly stuff. I like yeah. shiny things. You know, I wear my jewelry. I, I wear my corset. But when I get on stage, I'm, I'm never, I'm not a vulgar person. Right. And, and I when you see me on stage, what I'm presenting is, is a woman of strength and confidence, um, and, and of femininity. And you can do all those things without exploiting yourself. <laughs> and, and, you know, you know, s sort of stereotypes is, is something that I think classical and hip hop really share, you know, on the classical side, oh, you know, it's all boring, it's all X, Y, and Z. And on the hip hop side, oh, you know, it's nothing but calling women X and X and whatever, you know, um, I want to ask you this, Phantom, to to kind of quell some of those stereotypes about, um, you know, hip hop and what it is as a genre. Where would you point a new listener, someone who wants to understand what the real hip hop is? What do they need to listen to? What artists do they need to go back and look up? Um, for 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 artists back in the day, I would I would definitely start with, um, you know, wordsmiths like Rakim and, and Big Daddy Kane and, um, you know, uh, Slick Rick, um, KRS One, um, Public Enemy, you know, those are, are kind of Mount Rushmore type hip hop artists. Um, you know, each of them had their own special skill. You know, Slick Rick was a storyteller, Rakim had flow, Big Daddy Kane had metaphors and similes, and and Chuck D was, you know, he was he was fight the power. Um, you know, now I, I would think some of those people who have kind of picked up the mantle would be like J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar, um, you know, Childish Gambino, um, you know, Lupe Fiasco and, yeah. and people, people of that ilk who, who, who have taken some of those skills and, 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 and put their own spin on it. Um, you know, uh, I think, I think hip hop, if you search for it, has those elements that it had in the eighties and, and the nineties that, that made it so great. Um, it's this, it's just that the balance is not there. The balance is out of whack. The, the radio stations are playing a certain type. 
you know, and they're not they're You know, back in the day, you could you could hear Public Enemy, you can hear N.W.A. one right after another on the radio station. Now it's just mumble rap and they'll just play it six same six songs over and over. Um, you know, uh, I think I think if if you search for it and you really care about the culture, you can find things even in this age that are being made that that will remind you of how great hip hop not only was, but how great hip hop can be. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and it's and it's like um, you know the the music that you know the hip hop that you fuse with the classical at your shows kind of exhibits you know some of the more of the you know of the message behind the hip hop and the purpose mm-hmm. behind the hip hop and 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 not as you described just uh, mumble rap. So right. it's it, it's like the ill harmonic orchestra is you know classical music on the you know when it, when we talk about instrumental and all that stuff, but also mm-hmm. So classic, you know, when it comes to hip hop, classic hip hop, classical black music. Absolutely, that's that's what we strive for. We uh, the the classic part of that <laughs> in classical music and classic, like that's that's what we strive for. I, like I've never attempted to make a song that was hot. I've always attempted to make a song that would be considered a classic. Yeah, yeah, wow. So how can uh, how can folks uh, look you up, find you, uh, and and get information about your upcoming shows? So they can find us on www.thephantomhiphop.com. So T-H-E-E-P-H-A-N-T-O-M, hiphop.com. Wow, thank you. Well, Phantom Phoenix has been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time, man. As always, thank you for having us. The Phantom and the Phoenix from Ill Harmonic in conversation with Garrett on Triloquy. That was a fun conversation. I really enjoyed uh, going doing a, a, a deep dive of, of hip hop. I don't get to do that too often. Yeah, I, it was. It, I have to say that it was nice for once to recognize some of the names. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good for you. Good for you. You're, I'm sure your years of a party DJ helped. Well, yeah, from the late 80s, early 90s, and then anything after about 1998, it just drops off pretty dramatically. You know, something I, I thought was particularly interesting uh, that I want to retouch on again uh, briefly is the idea of stereotypes behind music. So when we talk about the stereotypes with classical music, it's, oh, it's boring, it's slow, it's sleepy time music, whatever. Um, and then on the other side... Uh, for hip hop, you have the stereotypes of oh, all you're doing is um, calling uh, women names, and you know it's all about gold chains and money and shooting and whatever. Yeah. And the ill harmonic just in a really again in a really brilliant way demystify both of those stereotypes for these seemingly opposing genres of music, and then puts it together into this really incredible experience. That's part of their goal is to um, bring the Gen Xers back into the concert hall. Uh, and help people to discover new music that they might not even have known that they liked. Yeah, and we can't take for granted the space, as as uh, Jeffrey was saying, we can't take for granted the space that this music lives in. For someone to have gone to the Kennedy Center or Carnegie Hall to hear this hip-hop orchestra, just the idea of going into those spaces uh, has been demystified, you know, Am I allowed in here? Uh, what should I wear? Am I going to feel comfortable? You know, so uh, one of the many reasons why what the El Harmonic Orchestra does is uh, is really important. You've uh, traveled to play with them, and very soon you're going to be traveling 
once again, aren't you? Well, I'm, I'm always traveling, but um, earlier this summer, um, I traveled down to um, Arkansas, uh, like I do uh, just about every summer, to uh, play in the Artisphere uh, Festival, one of the many classical music festivals around the country. And uh, that area um, is special in that they're small, but they're really interested in the, in the arts and, and really um, enriched by not just music, but visual art and, and nature and all that sort of thing. And um, one of the women really really driving that um, is Katie Henriksen, who works at the uh, local public radio station there. She's the area's only classical host. Uh, she does a lot of writing about classical music. And on the next um, opus of Triloquy, I'll be chatting with her and learning more about her story and, and what she has to say about classical music and, and all of that these days. I think you're going to be surprised at some of the classical music and art that's happening in Arkansas. So be listening next time on Triloquy. So, Scott, we've talked a lot about the Ilharmonic Orchestra, the Phantom, and the Phoenix, but um, I figured that we would close this opus out by actually hearing some of their music. They own the publishing and the rights to um, everything that they have. So uh, closing out today's opus of Triloquy is the Ilharmonic Orchestra featuring the Phantom and the Phoenix in a tune they call Double Trouble. Phantoms of Mike, magnificent, most vicious of written shit, ripping it, turn your dream into an isolated incident, killer with no remorse and you'll be fortunate to witness it, teach a course to get you a dose of poison and penmanship. Listen, my style's unlimited, bad mamma jamma, club car carrying membership, any scene I'm feeling it, part feminist, militant, part heroin villainous, we need a TV show so you can know how real it is. The truth is you feeling it, so in the face you conspicuous to deny it's ridiculous, admit it is so, poetry so precipitous, full of dope, deliciousness, when I to buy a ticket you should grip it and go. Forget what you know, no PMS, sick with the flow Kicking the dough, rip through a show, what's split with the dough Off the rip, no, I'm hip to it, bro, seen it before Acting shady, I'm a lady and I'm strictly a pro And yo, me and the Phantom, yo, we blowin' the spot Cause we're double, double trouble and we're bubbling high Yeah, me and the Phoenix, yeah, we blowin' the spot Cause we're double, double trouble and we're bubbling high Season exists, so you'll see to exist. I'm too official with the most lethal and either a shit. If the police try to get me to flip, yo, I'll be pleading the fifth. Keep it legit, I'm a beast with the spit. Nobody's laughing at your jokes, I'm trashing what you wrote. Matter of fact, leave you gasping as I have you in the yoke. Psychopathic, I'll be clapping as I'm slashing through your throat. Straight massacre, your hope, brand ambassador, dope. You know my pedigree, flow on point and carry a melody. Rocking the mic steadily, what the hell is you telling me? Don't ever let me think that you jelling me. Better let it be heavily set. Disrespecting Phoenix is a felony. Insane. Flower, chain hang lower, your game's over, remain sober. Get rappers a hangover, membrane blower. Better rapper than this, don't they know it? Hit you with the flamethrower, escaping the range rover. And yo, me and Phoenix, yeah, we blowing the spot, cause we're double, double. trouble, and we're bubbling high.